Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Springsteen fans and welcome to episode 1, the inaugural episode, the maiden voyage of Springsteen Time 70, a limited podcast series from NJ.com and the Star Ledger, where we are breaking down Bruce Springsteen's 70 greatest songs ever. I am joined for this first episode by Brian Erickson, the host of what might be the best New Jersey-based music podcast called The Great Albums. Brian, how you doing? Uh, I'm quite well, Bobby. Flattery will get you everywhere, <laughs> sir. Thank you. Thank you for coming, Ryan. And uh, so we are going to break down songs number 70 to number 61. We're going to play some clips. We're going to talk about what we like about the songs, what we don't like, legacies, origins, fun facts. I'm going to throw you a trivia question at the end. Oh, goodness. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we're going to have some fun. So first off, Brian, what is your favorite Bruce Springsteen song? Uh, Atlantic City. Oh, good one. Yeah, we are not to, talking about that today. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I like when I got the list, I was like, oh, cool. I get to be the first one. Oh, yeah. I'm at the bottom <laughs> of the list. Exactly. Okay. Well, we're so going to, will, this will be a challenge, but it'll be a fun challenge. Oh, it'll be a fun challenge. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to go right into song number 70, which is a song that sort of started a whole new era for Springsteen. And, uh, here, let's play a clip and then you, you guys will hear what it is. Okay, so that was number 70, Lonesome Day from The Rising 2002, which was the lead song off of The Rising and the beginning of the return of the East Street Band as far as like studio real albums go. Yeah, like imagine, uh, you know, Bruce sort of did away with the East Street Band, uh, like probably what, like late 80s? Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, he kind of did that synthy stuff. He did, you know, <laughs> Human Touch, Lucky Town, Tom Joad. Like he kind of went in a bunch of different directions. Now imagine like if you're a fan of the you know of the Born albums or from that great '80s stuff, mm -hmm. uh, but you sort of lost them a little bit along the way. Right. What a great way 
uh, to kind of ring it in almost like an invocation, like, yeah, I'm back. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and I mean, he played those in New Jersey alone, those 15 continental airlines arena shows, yep. uh, 99, which was for the people who got to go to those, those tickets all sold out like instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones who got to go to that, that was like sort of bringing the East street band back. But this was the first thing of, if you got the CD, you pop that in and you hear sort of the big sound and one of the new members at that time, Susie Tyrell, just destroying on violin on that yeah. song. Oh, so good. Yeah, it almost it almost brings in like a new, uh, like a third era of mm-hmm. the E Street Band where you kind of had, you know, to pardon the cliche, but that's sort of the wild, innocent, you know, kind of that swingy beginning and then the very like well-oiled machine of like the late 70s and 80s. And now this is something almost like folksy. Yeah. In a way. A, a little bit. And it's also, th- this is the beginning of the whole thing with the rising being a reaction to 9-11. And I'm listening to this song, I think of, I believe it, it's in the autobiography, but Springsteen, when the towers fell on 9-11, 2001, Springsteen was still had his house in Rumson. He wasn't full-time in Colts Neck yet. And for those who don't know, Rumson is very close to a beach called Seabright. Mm-hmm. And from Seabright, on a clear day, you can see the Manhattan skyline, or, or at least that you could have seen the Twin Towers. So he tells a great story about going to or near the beach or driving by the beach that day and, and seeing the smoke from the towers from Seabright. And then a fan had seen him when he was driving away or something, and they yelled out, like, we need you, Bruce, or something along those lines. Whoa. So, yeah, that, yeah. What? Really? Yeah, which is a pretty crazy uh, wow. little anecdote from Springsteen. But there's a lot of good stuff on The Rising. That, that's like, that, well, I look at that as almost like that kind of started a trilogy of records between that and then Magic in, what, 05, I want to say? 07, then, what, yeah. Oh, really? 07? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. That was way later. And then, yeah. like, working on a dream. I mean, I know he had other records in between The Rising and Magic, but uh-huh. um, I'm talking about the E Street Band uh, records that he did. Right. Um, yeah, this feels like kind of the start of that trilogy of yeah. albums. Um, what a great way to kind of kick that off. Yeah, definitely. All right. So moving on, let's uh, go to number 69 on the list, uh, a song that is a whole lot older than The Rising. Baseball cards poked in his spokes, his boots and oil he's patiently soaked. The roadside attend and nervously joke. As the angels tie stroke his precious pavement. All right, so that was the angel uh, from Greetings from Asbury Park, yeah, New going, Jersey. Uh, all the way back. Going pretty much all the way back. All the way back to that was actually one of the songs performed for uh, Mike Appel and uh, some other guy whose name escapes me um, for. Uh, Springsteen's like preliminary audition before the big audition for uh, Columbia Records, actually. Oh, get out of here. Really? Yeah. Yep, all the way back. And it's obviously a very kind of sleepy track. Um, Springsteen plays the piano himself on that yeah. album. That That's how yeah, far like, back it goes. People don't really think about the fact that he's that he plays piano, too. Because, I mean, yeah. when you get Roy Bitten mm-hmm. uh, in sure. the band, you don't really think about yeah. uh, Bruce playing piano. But, yeah, he was actually like a, a pretty decent piano player yeah and uh i mean and the old story goes of him uh writing a bunch of born to run on a piano 
but Springsteen is still super proud of this song. Um, he, uh, it was sort of inspired, I, th- I think, by uh, his obsession with Van Morrison at the time. Uh, before B- Born to Run uh, with Greetings and then with Wild and Innocent, there's so much on there that has the, the Dylan-y kind of effect, but also has like the, the Van Morrison sensibility. And and Bruce loved uh, Astral Weeks. That was like one of his favorite albums at the, t- at the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, yeah indisputable just the opening line that the angel rides with hunchback children poison oozing from his engine is such like a weirdly vivid kind of lyric to go over like this pretty piano it's it's sort of like a super like tim burton lullaby <laughs> can i can i kind of make the assertion because that like it almost sounds a little uh if you if you speed it up maybe a little it's almost uh a little a little like like bat out of hell yeah, because then, you know, I, I pulled up the lyrics here, especially the next line uh, where it says wield and love like a lethal weapon on his way to hubcap heaven. Yeah, like that's totally I, I mean, it's not but I could totally see, yeah. you know, Jim Steinman yeah. just what four years later, uh, you know, pulling something like that off for for bad out of hell. Yeah. And it's funny, I've since I've been able to make words, I've pretty much been saying that born to run era Bruce always reminds me of bad out of hell from Meatloaf, and I get a whole lot of sideways looks in New Jersey saying that. Well, but, that's uh, because like you half the East Street Band plays on that record. Yeah. So it's um, who do they get? Do they? Uh, did, I think they got Max. They definitely got Roy Bitten. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. Oh yeah, it sounds like a Meatloaf song, but it it was very clear that that first record was inspired by Bruce. Is the uh, point I'm trying to make? Yeah. All right. Well, that's enough Meatloaf talk, I yeah. guess, for today. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Maybe we'll take it offline later. Anyway, uh, on to number 68, which is a huge fan favorite and an epic live song, but never made it onto an actual uh, studio album. So that was Thundercrack at number 68, a song that people have been hearing live for decades and decades, usually in like the third hour of Springsteen, like in full mode bar band delirium, like sweat all the way through all of his clothes. Yeah, it appeared on 1998's uh, Tracks box set. And it's one of it's just one of those songs that if you can make it to the end, it's really, really awesome. There's There's just, there's so much there from like, crazy like beach boys high harmonies I actually have a story about that in a second mm-hmm. um to just like the folksy intro like the this song just kind of has a little bit of everything i think yeah and it's it's a little too uh a little too wild and innocent yeah. for born to run right it was done uh between those two mm-hmm. albums and it definitely still has that uh that kind of swingy, raucous, like wild, innocent E Street shuffle feel to it. So I could see why he left it off, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it was great to see that he, uh, you know, good to know, good to see that he still plays it live. Right. Um, when the studio version is seven and a half minutes long, oh, I can't you mean when he, when, he, when he plays it live, it's like you're, you can go to the bathroom, <laughs> you can get a hot dog, you can fight with your 
fiance. You can do whatever you want. Are you um, are you telling personal anecdotes no, here? No, no, no. I am engaged, so that, that's why fiance came up. But uh, <laughs> but no. And the the story I wanted to tell, which is actually plucked right from uh, Brian Hyatt from Rolling Stone's new book, uh, the stories behind the songs, Bruce Springsteen. Um, so they recorded like a sort of a one take version in 1973, and then it dawned on Bruce that it was going to take like way too much to actually get that song where it needed to be at the time. And he just didn't want to deal with it. So then all the years later, like 25 years go by and they want to actually get it where it needs to be recorded for, for the tracks version. So he, so mad dog, Vinny Lopez has to come back in 25 years later mm-hmm. um, and redo his like high harmony uh, backing vocals, all that, all those years later. And it t- apparently only took like 40 minutes. He just came right in did it and then was like, okay, cool. Yeah, Bye. He's still around. He yeah. still plays locally too. He still plays Asbury and stuff. Yeah. So just a phone call away. Yep. And every uh every Vinny Lopez show, people are looking over their shoulders hoping yeah. that oh, yeah. Bruce might show up. He's one of those like many like peripheral figures. Oh yeah. And yeah. And, and, and for good does, reason. And Bruce does just kind of show up. Like he just sort of walks into places yeah. uh, around there. Yeah. Yeah. Wonder Bar. He's uh, gonna call he's gonna the, come back Dana to Wonder Clinch Bar Gallery. Yeah. He'll do Light of Day this year. Because I know, don't think he did it. I don't. He has not he done it since year. He hasn't year done before. it since 2015. 2015 okay. was the last time he did it. I know because I've been at the all the years that he hasn't been there. Of course. And it's a great event, uh, but it's better when Bruce shows up, and it sells out instantly every year with people hoping that he's going to show up. Yeah. Um, but hey, they raise money for charity. It's great. It's great either way. Um, all right, on to number 67, which is a song that. I probably heard when I listened to my first ever Bruce Springsteen CD. She lit you in her house. If you come knocking late at night, she lit you in her mouth. If the words you say are right, if you pay the price. She'll let you deep inside There's a secret garden she has Okay, that was uh, Secret Garden at number 67. That first appeared on the uh, Springsteen Greatest Hits CD in 1995, which I think was... For better or worse, maybe my first Springsteen album. My, my I think my my mom had the CD, um, and I always thought that I didn't know until years later that that was uh, something that only appeared on that album. But there's a lot to that song, uh, and it's not just like a throwaway added track. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Jerry Maguire, dude. Yeah, a word. That's oh, okay. We're, okay, we're I there. just wanted because I I just no I was take hoping. it away. You. I just wanted to make sure, uh, you know, when you said great, only on the greatest, it's like, what? No, it's no, Jerry no. Maguire. You yeah. had me at hello. Yes. It, yeah. It's all over Jerry. It's all over Jerry Maguire. Cameron Crowe, the director, lo- loved the song. Uh, and he even played it uh, like 
it actually the song actually plays during the takes apparently and, and not just like overdubbed later in 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 post production and he he said he played it all the time on set he was just like obsessed with the song but the other thing that i think people forget is this this is released in 1995 and you think oh well that was like the tom joad era that wasn't really people weren't, weren't really looking at springsteen the the guy just won an oscar and performed streets of philadelphia at yeah. the oscars a, i think probably less than a year earlier in 1994 so it's sort of the this big sort of pressure situation that if you're going to put a new song on an album that features not only all your best songs but it's following a song that is one of the better songs of his of his the second act of his career um it better be good yeah yeah and it's i remember this is one of the first uh, Bruce Springsteen songs that I actively remember <laughs> ever hearing. Yeah. Um, so 95, I was 11 years old, uh, and our local like hits radio station mm-hmm. actually like, either, you know, cut up some version of this with clips from Jerry Maguire, like in, you know, just Weird. in the instrumental sections of the song. So, you know, I, I got to hear, you know, you had me at hello. I got to hear <laughs> show me the money, like all these, all these lines, like before I even saw right. the movie, I probably heard huh. parts of the movie. I mean, hit radio in, in the nineties. The song was played like 10 times a day. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. It's definitely one of those like adult contemporary, like, Oh monsters. yeah. This was, and, this song was inescapable. Yeah. And it, and it took being in the movie to sort of get it and being on the soundtrack to sort of get it to that, that point. But, uh, the, a, a few little notes on this song, the, uh, what Niels Lofgren does, like this weird guitar stuff that almost sounds like a horn, and then obviously the the hypnotic like synth melody yeah. that just gets lodged in your brain, and then uh, and then there's like a really great understated uh, Clarence Clemens solo, yeah, where so many of them his or his solos are just like blow the house down, but th- this one was like really nice. Uh, it was just like perfect kind of B side to Streets of Philadelphia for me as like a six year old. Okay. All right. Onward to number 66, which is maybe the, the one or one of the newest songs uh, on, on this entire list. I'll harvest your crops when they're ripe and grown. I'll pull that engine apart. Patch her up till she's running right. I'm a jack of all trades. We'll be alright. Alright, at uh that was Jack of All Trades at number 66 from Wrecking Ball in uh 2012, which in my experience of going to Springsteen shows of late, when he plays that, that is a uh, sort of a bathroom song for a lot of people. That that people are like, oh I, know, I don't really care about the new stuff, I'm gonna go uh hit the restroom real quick. For me, I love this song. I, I think it's so emblematic of the time and when it was written around like 2009 and d- during the whole recession, Wrecking Ball is sort of a big reaction to the crazy debt and poverty that a lot of people were put into uh, around the end of the 2000s decade. And uh, and I love the way that the lyrics build from there's sort of this like half optimism of I'll mow your lawn, I'll do, I'll do whatever and we'll, we'll be all right. And then at the end, he's like, I'll shoot the, I'll shoot the bastards on sight. Yeah. Like uh, be, being mad about the the workforce that's like left him behind. Wrecking Ball has a lot of sort of bigger songs. And I think there's a, 
even like a hip hop sample on Wrecking Ball yeah, somewhere. It's kind of it's an interesting it 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 plays around a lot mm-hmm. like that uh, that record. Yeah, I agree. It's just a just a good one. It's just a good one. And I know we, we've done a lot of slow songs on on, on this episode, but uh, sometimes slow is okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I won't lie. This probably this is this is not one of my favorites uh, of his. But I mean, let I me have it, like Brian. The, no, 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 no. I <laughs> I I still I still can't help but kind of like the uh the sentimentality mm-hmm. uh that he's kind of going for almost like um you know don't worry like put it on me like i i got you mm-hmm. um almost echoing you know like that story that you said uh when the fan saw him and said bruce we need you this mm-hmm. is almost uh, directly kind of him saying don't worry guys like i i'm here with you i i got this the other one the one other because thing- a lot of people do project their um, I don't want to say issues, but they're like, you know, they're kind of day to day on some of these Bruce songs. Yeah. Uh, I, and it feels like he is cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the one other thing I did, I wanted to mention is, uh, Tom Morello, uh, plays guitar on this mm-hmm. and there, this song, I, it goes on for, um, I think almost six minutes and the last minute of it is just Morello, uh, just doing his thing. Yeah. They sort of just let him go for the last minute. And uh, again, another good, great story from uh, Brian Hyatt's book, go pick it up, uh, is uh, that Morello had cut like a sort of a heavier version of that solo. And then when he was in New York, actually going to play like an Occupy Wall Street event, mm-hmm. um, Springsteen asked him to come down to his own, his home studio in Colts Neck, New Jersey. And uh, to cut a more quote quote unquote elegant version of the uh, of the of the solo. So at one point in I don't know the, ten years ago, uh, Springsteen and Tom Morello were hanging out together in Colts Neck, which makes me happy. Wow, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Okay, onward to number sixty five, which is another poignant song from the twenty first century. I'm just trying to survive. I got God on my side. And I'm just trying to survive. What if what you do to survive kills the things you love? Fear's a powerful thing. Can turn your heart black, you can trust. It'll take your God feel song. Feel it. Okay, that was the title track from Devils and Dust, 2005. And uh, that song is one of the better... Like, So that album, honestly, I don't love Devils and Dust the way I love some of the other ones. I think that there's a lot of sort of snoozers on that one. Um, especially, Not a fan of Reno? Yeah, or... Uh, oh, yeah, I really don't like Reno very much. But anyway, uh, that that song, that's the the lead, the lead single, and the whole album is kind of shaped around that song. That song was actually written, uh, I think, prior to all the war in Iraq stuff, which has been placed upon that song and the meaning of that song. Um, but it, that song has, has had an interesting life because, first off, in 10 years before this, 1995, Springsteen releases Tom Joad and really loves that album and the touring of that album and not having to crowd surf and do all sorts of crazy stuff on stage. And it wasn't as quite as draining on him. And then he, he, he considered doing 
another acoustic album right after that, but then decided against it and called up the E Street Band and yeah. did The Rising. Um, and then he sort of picked the song or some version of the song back up, I think, um, in the early 2000s. And they apparently, he recorded like a full band, like big anthemic kind of version of this, yeah. like sort of like the next level Born in the USA kind of song. But then uh, it was the producer, Brendan O'Brien, who he worked with a bunch and who produced that album. And Brendan's produced a ton of great rock stuff. Uh, he came in and told him like, hey, we have this rendition that's sort of folksy, but also has a lot of instrumentation on it. And uh, see what you think about this. And that's sort of the version that ended up on the album. Yeah. And I think that kind of splits the difference to kind of the light drums. You get a little bit of a band feel in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like how the uh, the desperation is sort of a callback to Nebraska in in my mind mm-hmm. at least like that that's sort of you know conveying desperation in the lyrics um, definitely does that yeah uh, know, and and kind of goes back to the idea of like people that have to make really hard like people that have to make decisions with a level of difficulty that people shouldn't ever need to mm-hmm. make you know you know what I mean yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and I mean, th- this song, the the opening line, I have my figure, finger on the trigger. I mean, it's shit. I mean, if you take it in the most literal sense, it's shaped around a, a soldier in, in war. And then the, the, the chorus of the, I've got God on my side, just trying to survive. But what if you do to survive kills the things that you love? Like, that's such like an interesting question that I, I'm, I can't imagine what it's like to be in that situation and need to consider like the whole killer be killed thing. But that's a, that's a conversation probably for another day. Um, so let's keep going to another deep cut. Uh, one that I personally like and another one that has a really interesting story behind it. This is number 64. couldn't tell by the chorus that's called linda let me be the one at number 64 that is a an outtake from the uh actually the born to run sessions that actually almost made it onto born to run believe it or not yeah uh and but it 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 appeared on track on the tracks box set in uh in 1998 he had a lot of really good ones from Mm -hmm. that you know like 1973 ish Mm -hmm. uh time period like there are a lot of a lot of really good uh a lot of really good like too many, uh, too many good songs to uh, put on those albums that you know at that point are, well, like eight songs, nine songs. So it's like keep it short. Well, a lot of the songs aren't very yeah. short, but it's you know keep the track listing mm-hmm. uh, nice and symmetrical. Uh, so stuff like you know good stuff like this has to come out you know thirty years later. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> and and I mean back then like the literally the physical restrictions, right? Yeah. Like you couldn't fit more than about 40, 45 minutes on on a 33 inch album. Like yeah. you just physically couldn't do it. And then you'd have to go to a double album, which is a whole not, like 
which yeah, a lot of labels weren't willing to do at the time. And Bruce is not Todd Rundgren, <laughs> so they are not letting him, uh, you know, he's he's not do. I feel like two, like a double album of Bruce at this point, like he did it right. You know, we got the river when we were supposed to get it. If he had done it like a few years before, mm, yeah, no, not so good. And speaking of the river, that uh, the piano part is very similar to Hungry Heart. Like, yeah. A couple of years later, I mean, Roy Bitten was like, oh, I should probably go back to that that, uh, right? that sort of trembling piano part. Um, but yeah, apparently the uh, there was a discussion about whether to put Linda Let Me Be The One or Meeting Across The River uh, on Born To Run. And they, I uh, think they made the right choice. Yeah, and like I think the, it, was, it was Mike Appel who uh, said absolutely not, <laughs> that, that Linda Let Me Be The One, which does kind of play like a demo. Like it does sort of play like they could have probably done more to it if they really were going to go all the way um, with putting it on an album. But yeah, I still enjoy it a whole lot. And it, and it's sort of from that golden era of recording, like you said. Yeah. Another like gang song too, talking about, you know, Eddie uh, and stuff like people like Bruce said, uh, Bruce had a lot of pop, uh, proper names mm-hmm. uh, back then. Bruce used a lot of proper names back then. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, we're going to get to one of those very soon, actually. Yep. But first, uh, the song that sort of started it all in a, in a lot of different ways for uh, Springsteen. This is number 63. And just a reminder, we're here with Brian Erickson, host of the Great Albums podcast. All right, so that, of course, was Blinded by the Light at number 63 uh, from Greetings from Asbury Park in 1973. That was the lead track on the album. That was the first single on the album. Uh, It was a song that was written with Spirit in the Night uh, after Clive Davis said, uh, hey, there aren't enough sort of full band songs on this album. Uh, and they ended up getting rid of some of the folksier ones, but, yeah. but still the way that, the, that this is composed, like lyrically, it's still very folksy. It's so wordy. Like it's, it's like a party trick if you can actually sing that entire song, I think. Yeah. Well, I think most people can sing the Manfred man, <laughs> you know, the version that became a hit that you still hear on every, uh, you know, Memorial day, top 500, yeah. uh, countdown show. Now it's, it's still, it's still on there. Yeah, and uh, and of course everyone likes to sing uh, the Deuce versus versus Deuce song. Yeah, uh, the the I, little the little. I remember getting in trouble for that yeah. when I was a little kid. I'd be like, you know, revved up like a douche. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, ten, eleven, twelve years old, and you know, my dad's like, don't say that. I said, yeah. what? It's in the song. He's like, no. Don't say that. But he never told me why. Mm-hmm. And then I had to kind of discover years later, like, oh, that's why. Uh-huh. And it's actually Deuce, like a, you know, like a car, like Little Deuce Coupe. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, Bruce was a huge, you know, Beach Boys fan and Cars and Girls. Yep. And uh, yeah, and definitely got the the best use out of his rhyming dictionary for, for this one. Uh, and, uh, and by rhyming dictionary, you mean his brain. Yeah. Like he just, it's it's amazing how that stuff was just, in his head uh-huh. uh, that he could just put down a song like this. Yeah, that, that, and I think he actually did also have a real rhyming dictionary, but don't we oh, all? Did, did he really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, L- literally had a rhyming dictionary at that time when he was like 22 and writing these songs. 
Um, and it, they're, uh, they had to do a bunch of overdubs with this song. Um, Springsteen actually played the bass part himself on the song. Um, and of course, it, as a lot of people know, Manfred Mann made it fam- made it famous. Did I steal your later. thunder on there? No, did no, I, no, did no, I say no. That too soon? No, I mean, I, that's the did first. I, did I give you a Jerry Maguire on that one? No, that is. The <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did a Brian. Um, that that's the uh, the first thing I should have said, and that, obviously that came out in 1976. Uh, Springsteen didn't have much success at all with this song uh, or Greetings in particular. Uh, obviously, as most people know, it would take until Born to Run to really get uh, to get his name out there. Yeah, like they almost dropped it. Like they were yeah. willing to drop him because uh, Billy Joel had a hit with Piano Man. Mm. So they're like, well, we kind of got our kind of, you know, young singer-songwriter, so either shape up or it's going to be just, right. you know, it's this guy and not you, and we got both. Right, and uh, so that leads into our next song, which is from an album that uh, actually earned Springsteen his first uh, top 10 pop hit and made him... An even bigger name. So this is number 62. So say goodbye. It's Independence Day. It's Independence Day all down the line. Just say goodbye. It's Independence Day. It's Independence Day this time. Now. Okay, that was Independence Day uh, from The River, a uh, great song about uh, Springsteen and his dad and uh, for- forgiveness and trying to understand each other after years of, uh, not, not estrangement exactly, but not, o- not always landing on the same page. Uh, if you've read Springsteen's autobiography, there's a whole lot more about that. Uh, but uh, it's a... It's a great song. It's a leftover from the Darkness recordings. Uh, it was written as early as 1976, uh, according to my records. And it's one of those sort of songs that made the river the river because there's that great sort of dichotomy on that album where you have the big full band bangers. You have Hungry Heart, you have Ties That Bind, you have Jackson Cage, and then you have a lot of the sort of narrative stuff that would really inform the rest of his career. Um, and th- this is one of those sort of perfect in between kind of songs. Yeah. And, uh, I always kind of thought it was, um, like a commentary, either maybe a war song or something about, you know, um, like relationships and a town kind of shit. Cause he says, you know, there's darkness in this house and there's darkness in this town. Hmm. Um, and what's the, like, uh, like say goodbye, like something like all the boys go away on independence day or something like that. Or, uh, I, that's interesting, but that could also mean a factory shutting down people who are losing jobs, like houses are closed, you know, how they used to call Asbury dark city. Cause mm-hmm. all the storefronts are dark, you know, stuff like that. Um, huh. so yeah, maybe something like that too, but I'm not doubting that it's, uh, you know, maybe an allegory for him and his dad too, but I feel like. Maybe it is, but it's kind of covered up by the, you know, yeah. uh, the sort of blanket of like more social commentary. Right. And yeah, and he, I think he's done that. I, I think his entire career is. Oh, yeah. He's the, one of the best at plucking real life 
scenarios and then put, putting them into a sort of narrative form. And, and the river, the river does a great job of that. And, uh, yeah, on the, uh, on the river tour, uh, in 2016, when he was here at MetLife stadium for three, for three nights, the, this was obviously a big moment. Um, Jake Clemens, uh, playing Clarence's big solo, of course. And, uh, yeah, it's just one of those sort of indelible songs from that period, which I still think as even with born to run the river, the river writing sessions were as good as Springsteen's ever been. He was a machine yeah. during that because then the ties that bind like the big four disc box set came out and you're like, Oh wow. He had a whole other yeah. like double albums worth of, of stuff. And you know, all, all kinds of interesting outtakes from there. Yep. And uh, so we are going to finish this episode off with one more song. It is a deep, deep, deep cut. And it is a very good story about uh, gangs on Route 9 in New Jersey. So here we go. This is number 61. Okay, that was number 61, uh, Zero and Blind Terry, an outtake from 1973 that did not appear until uh, Tracks many years later, as a lot of these songs have. We, we covered, what, three of these? <laughs> yeah, I three know. Three of these outtakes? There's there a lot of good ones, man. Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, Tracks is like a great record yeah. for that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the whole box set. I mean, but uh, so for Zero and Blind Terry, it's a similar kind of uh, love story in a gang related thing sort of like a incident on 57th street the the uh, the melody for the instrumental for this song is actually exactly the same as another demo called phantoms that i don't i don't think i've ever even actually heard i don't know if that exists anywhere um not a true fan yeah <laughs> true fan i'm telling yeah i'm, telling I'm not a true fan i don't know the, i don't know this one <laughs> song that no one's ever heard of um but yeah th- this is a great one and it it uh it goes on for quite a while, but I, I love how it leaves sort of an open-ended uh, finish where they were, you don't know if they ended up together or if someone died or whatever, but, uh, but apparently the, so they taught the whole song is about this gang called the Pythons, which yeah. is definitely going to be my fantasy football name this year. Oh, and, hell yeah. And about them sort of being around route nine. And apparently the Pythons were based off of some apparently Mongolian gangs that had moved into the areas of Freehold where Springsteen lived, where Springsteen grew up in Freehold, wasn't like the nicest part of town. If you ever go, if you ever yeah. go and look at his old houses, uh, which of course I've done, uh, and the, it's actually it's not in a particularly nice area. Um, so it's it's sort of loosely based off of that. And uh, Zero is one of the the gang members, and Blind Terry is the girl who falls in love with him, and her dad uh, says no, and he sends like state troopers to kill terry and there's this whole like showdown with the pythons and it's sort of a, a movie and a song and a poem and uh it's just one of those great narratives from that era from 1973 and it was cut at the uh at 914 studios in new york which is the same place where greetings was cut where wild and innocent was cut and where part of uh born to run was cut too wow and those are all That's... the things i know about <laughs> 
No. Well, what do you, what do you have to say about no, it? No, I, I like those, uh, I like those gang songs, yeah. you know, the, um, like, especially the, the locale actually, when we were doing our born to run episode on the great albums, um, our, you know, my fellow host, uh, Bill, said what what got him hooked in i i grew up in new york i only got here uh when i was 23 24 Mm -hmm. he grew up down um near like the tom's river area so you know highway nine kind of ran through there and he like it's the locale the familiarity that really kind of hooked him in and made him more curious um not just to be like yeah route nine baby like that weird local pride sometimes that people have Mm-hmm. Um, but just the idea of like, here's somebody famous, uh, somebody, a lot of people look up to singing about something that's extremely relevant and familiar to me specifically. So it's, and I think that speaks overall to Bruce's general relatability that he finds a way, uh, to kind of reach beyond New Jersey, uh, with his bigger themes, finding things that most people can relate to, but how he got his start was just saying, yeah, Hey. You know, I know where E Street is. I've seen the big, like the little, like the Telecaster statue and stuff. Um, but yeah, he, he kind of sings, it's like poems about like the locals. I, I completely agree, Brian. And that's where we're going to leave it today. Brian, thank you. Thank for, you for coming uh, in. It's been my pleasure. Yep. And uh, so check out the, uh, the great albums podcast available wherever you get your podcast. Yep. Pretty or just, much. Yeah. Any, any, any podcast app and the great albums.com as well. Cool. And check out, uh, Brian's new band, the extensions. Uh, they have an EP coming out soon. They're playing Asbury lanes in Asbury park, September 20th. Yep. Night before see here now. So yeah. it's going to be a big, uh, unofficial kickoff. To oh, that. so that's going to be a nice, uh, nice weekend. That sounds great. Let's close it out with a quick trivia question. Okay. Uh, this is very specific, but if you read the autobiography, you might know it. Uh, Bruce Springsteen's first alcoholic beverage came in 1972 at the Osprey Bar in Manasquan. Who brought him there and what was drank? Was it Big Danny Gallagher and Jose Cuervo Tequila, John Landau and Jack Daniels Whiskey, Clarence Clemens and Bud Light, or Dave Sanchez and House Vodka? What year was it? 1972. As if that matters. No, because it wasn't John Landau. Then I'm gonna go with the la- I'm gonna go with D, the last one. Yeah, Dave Sanchez, House Vodka. Yeah, incorrect. Uh, Big Danny Gallagher and Jose Cuervo Tequila. Okay, started off Bruce drinking alcohol. I, I have not read his book. Yeah, uh, but I'm gonna say yet. All right, Brian. Well, thank you very much, and thank you guys for listening. Uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. This has been Springsteen Time 70. I'm Bobby. Have a good one.